uh, that's all that I have to share by way of announcements. So let's jump into this morning's message. We are in the third week of a series that we're calling Ashes to Fire. And the, the kind of bulk of the series and the drive of the series is for us to recognize that Easter is not just a single Sunday in the year, but the reality of the resurrection moves through our lives and impacts our lives every single day and every single week. So the first week, let me give you an idea of where we've been so far. The first week of the series, we talked about how do we begin to trust God in the midst of the fear that is in our lives. Uh, And we, we called that, um, we called, we entitled that message in the midst of fire, trusting God when fear is on the rise. And we learned that that trust in our lives, whether it is uh, of someone else, but primarily when it comes to trusting God with our future, with the uncertainty that we face today, when it comes to trusting God, it is enabled, it is empowered by knowing that God is for us. He's on our side. And so if you missed that Sunday, just let me quickly tell you that God loves you deeply. He cares for you. He's rooting for you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to follow him. He wants to be in relationship with you. And so trusting God as has this sort of foundational reality of recognizing that God is for us. I love that message so much that if I'm not careful, I'm going to preach it all over again. So I got to move on, all right? So you may be fearful about the future. You may be ashamed of the past. You may be stuck in the present, but God is for you. Now, last week we talked about parabolas, and I um, sort of poked a little bit of fun at my uh, eighth grade math teacher who said parabola. And uh, we, we talked about how the life of Jesus... And the life of Christ sort of takes on this parabolic shape. If you don't know what a parabola is, it's basically an, an arc. And so the, the, the life of Christ takes on this shape of an arc where he's co-eternal, co-existent with the Father before all creation. In fact, the agent of creation held in the highest majesty. And yet he, he leaves his place, his majestic throne, and moves down on the ark to, in order to become human, take on flesh. He enters humanity. What we said last week is that King Jesus moves into the nation. Neighborhood. It's this picture of, of a king not moving in as, as, as sending his goons in order to rescue us, but a king taking on our very flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood, experiencing pain and brokenness and loneliness and all of the things that you and I experience in life and yet having the resources to rescue us from that. And so King Jesus moves into the neighborhood. It's this beautiful reality. And then he swings up the ark again where he is now glorified and and, uh, sitting at the right hand of God the Father and interceding for you and I. Man, if we can ever find comfort in our lives, it is comfort that Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father and praying for us. And that's what I want to talk to you today. I've entitled this, this me- the message today, When Jesus Prays for Us. I want to talk to you about what it might mean for us as a community to realize that Jesus Christ is praying for you and I and for this community. Uh, so let's turn in your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, uh, verses 20 through 26. 
Um, I, I want to warn you ahead of time that this passage is not easy to read out loud. You guys will, will be reading along with me and you'll think, can't, why can't this guy get it straight? I've tried over and over and over again. We were doing sound check this morning and those that were in the sanctuary were just laughing at me as I was trying to read this. So uh, bear with me and I'll do my best to read it clearly to you. It says this. Again, this is Jesus praying for all believers. Many of you probably have that heading right over verse 20 in your Bibles. Jesus says this. My prayer is not for them alone. He's just finished praying for his disciples. But he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That is the gospel. So I, believe, I, pr- I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, Father, I want those you have given me to be there with me where I am and have seen my and to see my glory, the glory that you have given to me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. And I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known, in order that the love that you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is the prayer that Jesus prays for you and I. Now, it's easy to come to this this passage that can be difficult to read and me and them and I and you and try to get lost in all of those, all, all of the, the verbiage there. Uh, but what often happens is when we come to this passage, we focus in on one reality, and that is that Jesus is praying for us to be one. And so it's easy for us to come to this prayer uh, and see Jesus praying that we would be one, that we would be unified, and then for the preacher to approach his community and say, now, since Jesus has prayed that you and I would be one and that we would be unified, now let me start giving you some strategies by which we will become the answer to Jesus' prayer. That's oftentimes the way that we approach this passage. And so it would be uh, easy for me to start telling you about all these strategies that in order to be unified, we must be united under a common mission and vision. We, we could talk about how gossip in the church has got to stop. And that if you have an issue or a problem with someone, you need to go directly to that person and work through the conflict or misunderstanding. We could talk about how in a culture of social media and text messages and email that we have got to learn the proper mode of communication for the message in which you want to share. In other words, church, don't send an email. If you're mad or frustrated with someone, pick up the phone and talk to them and seek reconciliation. Or we could talk about how the unity of the church is in many ways dependent upon the unity of the leadership. And that if the devil wants to bring this place down, he's going to start attacking the board, the vision team, myself, ministry leaders, and divide those teams. We could talk about all of these kinds of things. We could could also, as some would do, We could come to this passage and say Jesus has prayed that his believers would be one. So there you have it. Denominations are a crock and they should be done away with, right? Sometimes you may have heard that message from this passage. Well, 
Jesus said we shouldn't have, Jesus was never in favor of denominations. And so while the message and the strategy for unity in the church is critically important, and there is a time and a place to talk about all of those things, there is some real debate about how we ought to understand this passage. Because we have to allow this passage and the context of this passage to inform how we understand it. Right? And as you're reading your Bibles, if I could, if I could give you just a, a, a tip for interpreting and understanding Scripture, it would be to always consider things within their context. And so as we see the context of this passage, what we see is that Jesus is praying to God on behalf of or regarding the church, the capital C church, the body of Christ. What he is not doing is churning to his disciples and giving them instructions and strategy for unity. Do you see the difference? If we understand the context, Jesus is praying to God for the unity of the church. He's not telling his disciples strategies for unity. And that ought to help us begin to understand how to interpret and apply this passage. So we need to understand and we need to come to grips with what are some strategies or what, or what is the significance of Jesus praying for us? The church, Emmaus Road Church, and the body of Christ, the capital C church to which we belong. So we must resist the temptation to turn Jesus' prayer into instructions for unified living. And so... What does the prayer essentially say? Well, again, considering the context, John, in the previous few chapters, is telling a a narrative of how Christ is talking to his disciples. And he's telling his disciples, you know what? I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave this place by death, by resurrection, through ascension. And But don't worry. Even though I'm leaving, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm not going to leave you alone. Jesus says, I'm going from this place, but I'm going to send to you a comforter, one who will guide you and direct you and comfort you. We'll talk about that next week because next week is Pentecost Sunday where we recognize and celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the breaking loose of God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ to live inside of all of us. So we'll talk about that next week. But essentially Christ is saying, I'm leaving and I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper who will be with you. And then after having talked about the future to the disciples, Jesus then turns his face toward the heavens and prays to God and gives the future of the church over to God. Do you see the context and what's happening? He's telling them about the future. I'm going to send you a comforter. And then he turns and he gives that future to God the Father. Christ prays and gives the future of the body of Christ into the hands of God. Now that's pretty striking, isn't it? I mean, if I, were, if I were Jesus, I would have wanted to go the strategy route. I would have wanted to tell the community and, and offer to the community ways in which the community can, can manage themselves and structure themselves and, have, and unify themselves through all these different tips and strategies and, and uh, ways of living. But Jesus doesn't do that. The, the essence of the prayer is that Jesus is giving the future of the church to God the Father. And the content of the prayer, then, is that you and I, the body of Christ, would be one. 
that we would be unified. Does that make sense? And are you with me? Okay. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, this prayer may seem a bit unrealistic. Right? I mean, if you grew up in the church, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that you realize that in the church, even in a local community, a local church like our own, uh, we're all really different. And we have different interests. And, and if there's, I mean, we kind of come to this and we say, is Jesus really praying that we would be one? And, and is this one of those prayers that we just kind of throw out there and hope to live as close to that as possible? Do those kinds of prayers even exist? I mean, what kind of prayer is this? Because if you've grown up in the church, there's a chance that you have been hurt. And so some of you might come to this and say, you know, Jesus is praying that we would be one. Great prayer, not realistic. Right? Great thing to strive for, but not possible. And so... Some of you are, are remembering right now even the times where maybe you were hurt by the church in a deep way. Maybe a leader let you down. Maybe a person in your life group churned on you. Um, maybe people that you were invested in didn't invest anything back in you. And, and you still bear those wounds. There, I mean, the list could go on and on and on about the ways in which some of you have been hurt in the church. And you still bear those wounds. And the reality is that even though you're here this morning, you may have been away from church for a very long time. You didn't think you'd ever come back or you wondered if you would ever come back. And so you've been hurt and you come to this prayer and you're like, nope, not possible. I mean, that's a great prayer. It's rather inspirational, but it's pretty idealistic on the, on the part of Jesus, right? Now, some of you, you maybe haven't been hurt personally by the church, but you've seen division in the church happen. You've been a part of a community that was divided. The he said, she said, arguments come about. Arguments about preferences turn into personal wars against one another. Gossip gets out of hand. And pretty soon, uh, the pastor has resigned because of all the pressure. And you guys have been there. Some of you that have grown up in the church have been there. Now, I'm certainly not saying that any of this is, is good, obviously. But, but nor am I saying that this is bound to happen because we're just all sinful people. What I want to do this morning, and I can see you guys slouching in your seats. <laughs> what I want to do this morning is just simply recognize that this has happened. Right? I just simply want to recognize that many of you have been through this. And so the tension then is we come to passages like this and we say, man, that would be great. But I just don't see how. And, and I, I, guess, um, I guess I should have warned you about the tough nature of the message because I, I just want for a moment to be honest about, about some, some church life, particularly in our culture, uh, that, that has seemed to be so prevalent from, from my own viewpoint. I mean, I mean some of you have, have been in your life, and in just a few years, you, you've gone from church to church to church because as, as soon as something happens that you don't like or, or somebody says something or doesn't say something or does something or doesn't do something or someone that you really like is no longer a part of the community or the pastor maybe didn't do something that you thought that a pastor should do. And so you just go to the next place. And I understand, first of all, that there are seasons in our life and that from time to time, it is good and it is appropriate to switch communities. So, so don't hear me incorrectly today. Don't hear me 
Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. Okay? There is a time where it's good and it's appropriate to switch communities. Sometimes leaders break trust in such a way that you have to make the decision of, am I going to stay or not? Am I going to go the route of rebuilding trust or am I just going to move on to another community? Those are fine things. What I'm talking about today is this kind of consumer, consumeristic mindset uh, and this, um, this sort of thing that says, oh, I was offended here, I was offended there. These little offenses that are actually robbing us from the unity that Jesus talks about. And so some of you, um, after these minor offenses, you've actually been robbed of, of greater community being experienced. And so now you find yourself here. Emmaus Road. It's got a little ring to it, doesn't it? I love the name. I don't so much like it when people call it Emus Road. <laughs> but when people say Emmaus Road, I say amen. amen. <laughs> it's a good name. And um, a lot of times when, we're, when we come to a church, and for many of you, you're, you're new here because we've experienced such a, a large uh, percentage of growth over the past few months. And um, church, when it's brand new, is really exciting. And uh, the, the worship is amazing. And the, the, the pastor is amazing. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's right. And the messages are riveting and profound, and all this stuff. Um, But we're not a perfect church. And the perfect church doesn't exist. And there may come a time when uh, someone in this church hurts, offends, disappoints. In those moments, it is our role and responsibility to... Not just exit and leave, but to seek reconciliation. And I know those are tough words. But eventually, what happens in a relationship and in a marriage is you go through the honeymoon phase, right? I've been married now almost 10 years. Amy and I's honeymoon is over. (laughs) (laughs) But I can tell you I love her more now than I did 10 years ago. Because we've walked through the difficult times. And it has led to greater levels of community and intimacy. And my encouragement to you today would be is that we've got to do the same thing with the church. So that this unity that Jesus prays for can be realized. Now the significance of... Christ giving the future of the church over into the hands of God is the assurance that this is the Father's church. Right? I I mean, we kind of talk about all this kind of unity thing and and, and all this kind of stuff, but but really what I want to say to you today in in the significance of Jesus praying this prayer and giving the future of this church and the church over to God is that when it, when it comes to a church, you guys have great assurance that this isn't my church. And that ought to be great news for you today. 
Because if you are counting on this being my church, then there will come a time when I will let you down. There will be a time when the sermon stinks. Right? And there will be a time when I don't do something that you expect me to do because I'm human. But there's great assurance in knowing that this isn't my church. And guess what? I've got even better news. It's not the board's church. And I've got even better news. It's not the vision team's church. And it's not the ministry leader's church. The significance of Jesus giving the church over to the hands of God is the reality that this is God's church. It's God's church. And I wonder if we recognize that this place is in much bigger and much more capable hands than your hands and my hands, then wouldn't we be able to move forward in ministry with confidence? Right? I mean, we're facing a transition in, in the life of this church, aren't we? I mean, with the reality of, of, of staff moving in and out, we're facing a transition. Aren't we all assured with the great confidence that, in, that this church lies in hands far more capable than mine and far more capable than yours? And I wonder if we realized that if this is God's church, if we would be more quickly, if we would be quicker to forgive others who offend us. I think that's so important in the practical application, the reality for us as a community, but then the personal application within that of realizing this is God's church. And you know, I, I just want to be honest again. You guys know me. I, I always want to be transparent and honest and upfront and, and call it like I see it. So much of the division that typically happens in church is over a power struggle. And if we realize that this is God's church, wouldn't we be quick to release our own power into the hands of the one who owns this place? I mean, think about the the unity that would be experienced if we would realize the significance of this prayer. It's interesting to me that the very nature of the prayer is in itself a, a way to the answer. It's not a strategy, it's a reality, but built inside the prayer is sort of this reality and this strategy itself. We can all just rest on the assurance that it doesn't belong to us. Now, if we get the ownership deal right, if we realize that this is really God's church, then, then what happens is that our role, the role of the members of the body of Christ, that's you and I and those who have confessed Christ as Savior, our role then becomes obedience. And that is precisely what I seek to do as your pastor. A lot of times it's easy to think that everything in the church is done according to my, every, the every desire and will of the pastor. And I want to tell you that is not the case. And good thing it's not. My role as your pastor is to listen to the voice of God, to bring you a message of encouragement and hope each week, and then to provide this sort of environment of spiritual growth and community. But to do all of that, not according to my own preferences or desire, but according to the way that I can best understand what God desires for this church. 
And so our role together is obedience to what God has called us to. And that's my role as a pastor is obedience, not to form and shape a community and and an organization and a church according to the way that I've always dreamed or wanted. But rather to seek God and to do what he says. And so the leaders in this church, myself, the board, the vision team, the ministry leaders, we're all seeking to do what God would be pleased with. And so if we all realize that God is in charge and our role becomes obedience, we experience incredible unity. Now, since, uh, since we're talking about this sort of unity, sometimes unity is understood as the absence of diversity. Are you with me? Sometimes unity is, is understood as the absence of diversity. But what I would say is that is not the case at all. The beautiful thing about the church, the capital C church, is that it's expressed in all kinds of different local communities, including our own, right? I mean, the, the beauty of the unity of the body of Christ and the church is the diversity of the local communities of which we are a part. And so while we share many things in common with, with every other uh, Bible-believing Christian church in town, we also have things about us that are very distinct that allow us to minister in this community. And so I want to... Um, I want to share with you some of the things I feel like were that really make us distinct. Uh, first of all, I think that our simple ministry structure of Sunday AM, life groups, and impact makes us really unique. That's a very simple ministry structure. We have age level uh, ministries that, that that live into that same mission and that same structure. Uh, but it is you'd be hard pressed to find other churches with such a, a simple and straightforward ministry structure to them. And I think that sets us apart. Our fierce commitment to excellence around every corner sets us apart. We've had people say to us, you know, that was really excellent for the size of this church. And I always just respond, God deserves our best. He deserves our excellence. And so at every corner of the ministry, we seek to be excellent with what God has given to us. And I know that other churches are committed to excellence, but I think that's one of our distinctive things. And then the the honest community that is formed uh, here really allows us to be unique as well. And so I want to praise God for what he's done in this small community. And I pray that he will continue to move us forward into greater days and greater growth. And I want to thank all of you for faithfully living into the mission that God has given us. This is a great church. I was hoping to hear an amen. (laughs) but the reality is we're not the only church in fort collins and i don't want to pretend like that and we're not the only great church in fort collins there are lots of lots of great churches doing great work in this city the beauty of the unity of the body of christ is the diversity that is within it and so there are people that are that we will never be able to reach the other churches because of their distinct distinctions will be able to reach. There are people that will be able to reach that other churches won't. But together, through the unity of the body of Christ in Fort Collins and around the world, we're able to push the gospel forward and move the kingdom of God ahead. Isn't that amazing? Unity is not the absence of diversity. Unity is diversity moving in the same direction. 
And that's what we're seeking to do in this church. All of us are different, unique. We have distinct things about us, gifts, all of these kinds of things. And we're seeking together to say this is the mission that God has given us. This is the direction that he's taking us. And so let us all together in all of our diversity move in one direction in unity for the kingdom of God. That's a tremendous reality of what's happening here. Now, let me also break this down for each of you. As you participate in the life and the community of this church, you will find great comfort in in knowing that your community is in capable hands, God's hands. And that is to say that faith in Christ is the most unifying reality in the world. Faith in Christ is the most unifying reality in the world. Those of you that have ever been on a mission trip will understand this. Right? Where you're in a worship service and they're banging on instruments you've never even seen. And they're singing in a language you don't understand. And yet you feel a oneness with them. And there is no way on earth that you should be unified with those people from another culture, from totally different uh, economic status, totally different language, and yet faith in Christ is the unity that brings you together. And so, we have this reality that Jesus prays for us. We have this reality that the capital C church is given into the hands of God himself to care for and watch over for the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I just, I just thought that it would be a good reminder for us today to come into contact with this prayer that Jesus prays for us and to remind us again that this is God's church. And our role as members of this local community and as, as members of the capital C church, the church universal, is simply obedience to what God has called us to do and what God has called us to be. And part of my goal is simply to assure you that this is not my church. Praise the Lord. Because I regularly come into contact with my limitations. Right? I mean, I, I, I may seem like, um, I don't know about you, but when I had, um, when I think of pastors and when I was growing up in church, the, the pastor just didn't hardly seem, seem real, right? And I, do, I try really hard to seem real to all of you. Like I live in the same world as you all. And, and I mispronounce words regularly on Sunday morning. And, and you all are so faithful to remind me of that. And, um, and all of these things. But... When I, when I am at home and I'm, I'm speaking with Amy, a lot of times before an event, before a service, I will often say, will anybody show up? Do I have what it takes? I mean, can I really do this? So the good news for you all is that I'm not really in charge. I'm simply doing my best to be obedient to not only the call that God has placed on my life, but the direction that I feel like he's leading this church. And I hope you find comfort in that. And I want to encourage all of us to join in that obedience. 
But I suppose there's this reality that is always and, and, and sort of ever before us, that even though God is in charge, and even though uh, we, we have this sort of great prayer of unity being prayed over us, the reality is still this thing we talked about earlier, the times when we hurt each other, when we mess up. Because there's this sort of inherent risk that's built into community, and, and that is the risk of either being hurt because I'm vulnerable, or hurting someone else. Sometimes intentionally in in a moment where I mess up, sometimes unintentionally. And so we have this reality that we still mess up even though God is in charge. And I think there's this image that I think is perfect for this. Uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who who authored The Lord of the Rings, wrote in in another work of his that living in the will of God is, is sort of like all the, the voices of, of believers coming together, to, to blended together to form this perfect and complete melody. And isn't that the nature of this prayer? I mean, I think that's the nature of this prayer, that the body of Christ would be one, that together all of our diversity and all of our different voices would work together to form this perfect and complete melody for the kingdom of God. And yet the reality is we let each other down. We mess up. What Tolkien says is that the redemptive nature of God is that when we do mess up, when we sin, our voice gets out of tune. And the melody gets thrown off. But the redemptive nature of God is to take that mess up, that pitch that's just a little bit off, and blend it back in to the overall melody. And then we mess up, and God blends. We mess up, and God blends. Because the God that is in charge of this church is a redeeming God. He has redeemed us. He will reconcile us to one another. He has redeemed our sin. As we follow him and walk in obedience. And so this this picture of these woven voices together. And when we get out of balance, out of whack, out of proportion. Then he weaves us back into the melody as we're obedient to him. And that really is, is Christ's prayer for the church. And it's also my prayer for this church that I've been given the the privilege and responsibility to lead, is that we would also be one. And that when there there are those times when a, a voice gets out of tune, sometimes it's my own. That God in his redeeming nature would weave it back in and say, let's all be together, woven together in this perfect melody. I hope this message is an encouragement to you a lot of times in our, in our culture that is all about you and all about us as individuals and we're, we're totally independent of one another, when we come to a, a corporate message like this that has very little personal application, but just sort of this, this us, this we together, the community, a lot of times we go, oh, that was okay. But I want us to, to move past this, this sort of personal and understand things in the community This is a community application for us today. That we together would sing the melody God intends for us. That we together would be a people obedient to his his direction. And that as a result, we would experience incredible unity together. Let's pray.